Hi, I'm Leona Fensom. I'm a mum of three, three under six, and I run an independent production company called Inkslingers Media, where I'm the creative director. I also work at University of Bedfordshire in the Arts and Culture Projects team, and I have a very long title there. It's Heritage Projects and Partnerships Officer. You're listening to the Mother of All Solutions, stories from mums as they navigate their return to work. With me, Laura Broderick. So welcome listeners to Mother of All Solutions. I'm sat in St Albans today with the, the lovely Leona Fensum. So hi, Leona. Hello, Laura. How are things? Things are good. This is a treat to be sat in the beautiful St Albans surrounding. Um, so you've introduced yourself. Um, so you have many hats, Leona. So let's talk through some of those things that you do and who you are and your family situation and so to set the scene um, I saw something on your LinkedIn that really really made me smile about you and so I'm going to read this so here we go listeners this is a Leona's own words being a producer I'm all about running orders and constantly being mindful of time my partner and three kiddies under six years old mimic me always Come on, gang, we're on the clock. (laughs) Now, I can't do your Aussie accent. So tell us more about being always on the clock and the busy life you lead and what you're up to. Yeah, being on the clock is probably more pronounced now since I've had children. And I had my first one, Remy, in um, May 2016. Evelyn was 2018. And the youngest one, Nathaniel, was June uh, last year. And... The reason why I say that, as anyone that has multiples will know, is that you're constantly running in so many different directions. Um, But also, because I have a radio background, you suddenly become hyper aware of time because that's the thing that kind of dictates your environment when you're working in a live studio, uh, you know, place. And I got into radio, I think from memory, about eight years ago. It was probably like February 2015. I'd been doing an undergrad, my um, Bachelor of Communications was in Journalism and PR, and I had these amazing lecturers, there was three of them, that kept saying to me, go and get some practical experience out in the real world, mm-hmm. even though I was mature age and had worked a lot, I hadn't kind of done anything in the media space, okay. as I was changing careers, and um, I went to my local newspaper, this was when I was living in Perth, in Western Australia at the time, so I thought, that's an easy win, I was a journalist at the time, and I thought, they'll certainly give me a little gig, you know, being a volunteer, doing something, didn't hear back from them, so I went to the local community radio station mm-hmm. where I'd been a fan and a listener since my high school days, and because I was a music journalist at the time, I thought I'd love to work in the music department, like stocking CDs. Yeah, I'm that old. <laughs> On the shelves, and that would be I've my still happy got tapes. place. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember tapes, all of that. And I thought that would be good. That would give me some experience in what community radio is like. So I met the volunteer manager, Chris Wilden, and we caught up, and he said, uh, not what I thought he'd say, how would you like to be an assistant producer? And I had no idea what an assistant producer was, what they Mm. did. And then he sort of set this utopic landscape out, you know, where I could be involved in a three-hour magazine format show, was to do with current affairs, environment, politics, entertainment. I could go and interview people. There was an opportunity to maybe present, which gave me the shudders because to this day I'm not a presenter. I love producing. And I thought, why not? I'll give that a go. And so, yeah, those three people and Chris pretty much made me do a U-turn in the like 
pathway that I was going on mm. and that was how I got into community radio and that yeah like I said it's coming up mm. to eight years and so from there I learned a lot about time because you're always looking at the clock when you're in radio everything's always down to the minute because you've got to hit ad breaks go to the news and that really helped me in some kind of funny way because prior to that I had your classic FOMO mm. and I was a super impulsive person I was notorious for like double booking myself launching headfirst into all mm. sorts of adventures and <laughs> people would always say that to me all my best friends used to be like oh gosh what's she up to now well yeah yeah Leona I also a guilty of that and um, one of my best mates ex-boyfriends had me in his phone as Laura late because I was always late for things <laughs> so maybe you were Leona late maybe you were and I'm glad that. you've said that because one of my best friends in Melbourne so I lived in Melbourne in Australia for about 15 years Kerry one day I was running late or maybe I had just fobbed her off it was one or the other it wasn't very nice and she sent me this text message she's like Leona do you know what when you do this it's like you just don't value me you're valuing yourself Aww. above me and that was, I think, in 2007 maybe, and I've mm. never forgotten that. And that really made me think, you know what, that's not all right. Mm. I really need to start kind and of, you know, curbing that a bit. Yeah. No, no, yeah. But perception's different to intention. So that right? text yeah. message mm. and getting into radio has now made me less impulsive. And it's all about the clock <laughs> And it's all about the clock. <laughs> <laughs> so then thinking about the clock and motherhood fitting in with that. So now you're juggling work creative director, producer, but also working for a university. Um, you also, I believe, have plans for a, an academic kind of career in other ways as well. So like, how how do you fit the three kids in around that? Are you like a schedule person or is it just that you are really kind of just aware of everyone's needs and you just make it work? Like, what's your... I think I've always been really productive. Like even mm. in saying, you know, this impulsivity has kind of waned by the nature of having kids mm. as well a lot uh prior to that I always had two jobs mm. you know like when I was in my early 20s I always had some kind of full-time or part-time gig and I always had some kind of second job predominantly in hospitality because that was the first industry I worked in for about mm. 10 years so I was typically working in a bar working in a club yeah that kind places. of thing yeah mm. and then interestingly I always studied because I'm your classic lifelong learner so I always had something brewing in the background whether it was like a short course or a diploma or something yeah. so they were the things that really fueled me okay. and so I guess you know bringing kids into the mix your time suddenly becomes I don't want to say much more precious but you just suddenly have more of a sense of it and then okay. you've got you know little people that demand your time so you can't always lay out plans and expect that they're going to end up as you've set them out to be yeah. so the good thing about kids is that I think I became a lot more patient actually that was one thing I think that's oh. really benefited me um, in terms of having children but um, to set the context I left Australia in David and I my husband we left in March 2017 okay. and moved to the UK then and so we had Remy she was about nine or ten months yeah. and really it was you know three things for me I wanted to pursue a radio career here mm -hmm. the big dream was the BBC as yeah. many Australians you know in radio uh, like to kind of see or get realized is that you know yeah, yeah. I do working with the BBC I wanted to do a PhD before I was 50 
Mm-hmm. And then the classic thing, I just wanted um, a little, well, actually no big, English countryside home because I'd watched so many of those English shows. What are some of them now? Like, not Homes Under the Hammer, but you know all the ones about like... I'd Probably the ones I avoid. Yeah, um, Grand Designs, okay, you know, all okay. those things where people had these beautiful country homes with mm. fireplaces. So they were the aspirations and what brought mm. us here. Yeah. Wow, you came for the dream, the beep, the house in the I country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to answer your question about scheduling, it's it's been really challenging, yeah. you know, because it's not like you're an individual that's embarking on a career in study. You have to throw in a child and all of yeah, their needs yeah, yeah. as well. And then, you know, when you have a second one, you've got the logistics of, as you know, because you've got two, yeah. how you manage that between the two of you. And then you throw a three one in and I'm a third one in. And I met someone a while ago. She had five children. And I did at the time ask her when I think I just had Remy, how do you do it? And she's like, do you know what's funny? After yeah. about three, they all just kind of fit in. Okay. And she was so calm and rational and she made it appear to be like a very easy thing yeah. having multiples. And it's, yeah. in, it's interesting. And I'm even conscious of the, the question that I asked around like, you know, how do you make it work? Because of course, you know, it's, we don't want to set us up as mothers to be seen as super women because, yeah. you know, nobody is. And that's, you know, an aspiration that, can be negative as well because yeah. it can put pressure on us to try and be everything to everyone all the time yeah. but also we do have to acknowledge that we do make a lot of things happen for we do. our own families our communities around us um, whether that's helping out with school events or whatever it is that you do in your community and then obviously your workplaces depending on how you manage your work life yeah so it's a really tricky one to like ask questions like that without putting us on a pedestal but without diminishing what yeah. we are and um yeah I, I hope you understood the <laughs> I do and I'm thinking back yeah mm. to how I actually developed some of those behaviors and like my last sort of corporate job ended in 2013 where I quit I'd been in the role for about six years and it was for a big online media company in Australia called Seek it's an employment okay. job board and I was in a senior account manager position and it was very much your classic you know advertising recruitment sales world where you're working to quarterly budgets and it's that real work hard mm. play hard philosophy so we had to do eight to ten meetings a week mm. so as you can imagine lots of talking mm. you had to hit certain budgets so you were almost living by some kind of routine If that makes sense, you were living by a spreadsheet, you were living by a budget, you were living by a calendar. And I guess, you know, that can be detrimental because there's intense pressure around that. But when I left that environment and became a freelancer, so when I started this Mm. undergrad that I mentioned, the Bachelor of Comms, and I started becoming a features writer and doing my own thing, I still lived by a calendar, but it's going to sound Mm. so silly, I started colour coding my calendar. Beautiful. (laughs) And so what I've always tried to prioritise, even though we did talk about not getting to the gym this morning, was that, my health. So when do I go to the gym, when do I go for a walk, when do I go for a swim? And that'd be a certain colour. And mm. then what are my meeting colours? And then what are my downtime colours? Yeah. And so now that okay. I've got kids, they're in there. So as you would know, Another you've colour. got <laughs> exactly all the school stuff, all their, you know, wraparound activities mm. when I catch up with my friends. So, yeah, I live by that. I'm very mm. visual. Mm. 
And mm. so for me, that's a good indicator of where the load is. Are there lots of kids stuff on and less me time? Yeah, yeah, Have I got yeah. tons of work things happening? So I try to, you know, make sure that there's an even spread. I don't yeah. like to say work-life balance and I try hard not to say that I'm juggling things because yeah. as anyone that, you know, runs their own business or has been self-employed knows, yeah. and especially in the creative industries, there really isn't a balance. Mm. I think you have to set boundaries mm. and sometimes we learn that through absolute failings mm. and burning out and mm. high stress points. So I know in myself when I hit a natural point of feeling really exhausted, mm. so then I just take some time out, yeah. binge watch Netflix stuff, catch yeah. up with my friends and that recharges me. But yeah. I don't know anyone that has developed some kind of you know, perfect way of, you know, of managing all of that. No, and we all deal with things differently. So let's chat about the radio side. So um, you got into community radio almost not not completely by surprise, but it wasn't like your... It was my surprise. It wasn't, right? it wasn't so on okay. my radar. You're right, Laura. It was not on, mm. like, the kind of, right, this is the direction yeah. I'm going with this degree. I wanted to be a magazine features journalist. Yeah. You know the glossy magazines? Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to go to the news agency. I lived in the north of Western Australia and buy Smash Hits yeah. and the Face oh, magazine Smash Hits. Yeah, yeah. and Dolly and all these things. And I'd have big stacks of them. Dolly. It's an Australian oh, okay, one. It was okay. kind of like a girl or teenage girl version of... Um, Clear or Cosmo, okay. that kind of thing. Okay. And so I was always a magazine kid and that was my aspiration from doing the degree. I yeah. wanted to write, um, you know, high profile pieces, like yeah. interview people and write about their lives. It was always about people's lives. Yeah. That was my thing. Yeah. And so when the community media thing came up to get practical experience, it piqued my interest because I thought the newspaper avenue was going to be me. Yeah. And I thought, well, that ties to magazines, but it yeah. didn't because I never heard back from anyone. Yeah. And so then it became radio. And I think the thing about radio that really drew me in was the family nature of RTR FM in Perth, Western Australia. Mm -hmm. I worked at RTR or volunteered and Triple R. They have tons of volunteers. Like we're talking in the hundreds. Mm -hmm. And there's a real um, collective atmosphere within there. But also it was the transformation. Mm -hmm. I could see with all these individuals that had other things going on, like they were studying, they had lives, yeah. had families. There was this amazing transformative effect that happened to them the minute they stepped inside that space mm. and I loved that and I could see from talking to people what it had done for them yeah yeah and to this day eight years down the line that is the thing that I've loved about being in radio is yeah. what it can do to people from the minute they start something to where they end up and it's also transferable yeah. because I come from such a strong you know employment background as well mm. that is really crucial for me is to see people either being recognised for talent they didn't know they had or developing skills and having that euphoric moment, you yeah. know, that aha moment, like, wow, I actually did that thing. I made something. Yeah. I, yeah, and I feel like that's how I, I know you as well. You've been, like, really helpful to me starting the podcasting, like, if I've needed something to, like, you know, get some advice on, I've kind of bounced a few things off you. So I, I, I've seen that myself, and so that's really interesting that you've, had that in your community radio context yeah. and you're still even though you're not working community radio now you're still very pro community radio and speaking yeah. at events and I think it's an underdog it. thing you yeah. know and I don't ever like to generalize but I think one thing about being Australian is we're very much go like we go for the underdog you know <laughs> we like the little guy to rise up and beat all the odds because everyone's against you know that person or that situation and I think for me advocacy for community radio is really because 
you know, they're in the heart of wherever, you know, their locality is. And then anyone in that locality has opportunities to come and do something there, which yeah, I absolutely yeah. love. And that means they have meaning, their lives are mm. valued and they're contributing. And, you know, even though I cut my teeth as a volunteer, I did go on um, at Radio Verulam in St Albans, who are now mixed 92.6, to be their ops and uh, volunteer manager, which was a paid contract. And, you know, even like through that role, I saw and was able to help that transformation, you know, mm. with close to like 90 to 100 volunteers. So Amazing. I've been a volunteer as a producer. I've been in senior management in community radio. So I've kind of done the whole inner mechanics of, you know, that world. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a really crucial space, particularly, you know, when you do study media and things like that, you start looking at alternate spheres, don't you? Like countercultures and subcultures mm. and places where people can genuinely have diversity yeah. and media plur plurality. And, you know, that's what's really important to me, especially now that I'm in oral histories, is I like people to have a chance to talk about their lives yeah. and have meaning rather than maybe dominant or influ influential or extroverted people always having the time in the sun to the talk stage. about things. Mm. Yeah, that's mm. right. Mm. Yeah. And so with that kind of transition to then you developing your career in that, that audio space and now being creative director of your own company, Inkslingers, um, tell us a little bit about, well, I know a little bit about some of your projects, but um, maybe kind of give a flavour of some of the things you've worked on and um, just to kind of praise you and congratulate you um, on Mike, uh, you received a bronze well, with a group of colleagues um, for your Tape Letters project yesterday. Was it even yesterday or two Wednesday days? Night. Wednesday night, yeah. For the um, Audio Production Awards. So congratulations. Thank you so that. much. Yeah. So do you want to say a little bit about that project or other projects or yeah. you know, your interests in audio? Hmm. Yeah, so Inkslingers Media Up, which is the independent production company I mentioned in June 2018 when Evelyn, my second, was four months old. Mm. So I never do things in half measures, you know, <laughs> that's just the classic thing you'll learn about me and you probably know that about me already. Um, and the lofty ambition which I'd had in Australia was that one day I wanted to work on documentaries. Again, mm. this really harks back to I like deep dives into people's lives. Mm. And so I'd set it up and then I'd been in that role at Radio Verulam as the Ops and Volunteer Manager. I was freelancing at BBC Radio 4, so Media Show, Saturday Live, Women's Hour. And then I think it was, you know, not really doing much. It had kind of sat there because I was more like in the actual roles that I was in at the Beeb in the station. And I forgot to mention, I was doing my honours at the time as well. <laughs> so I finished the undergrad. I think I finished that like in 2017, graduated. Then I think once Evelyn was born, I was like, right, let's do an honours because why not add more things onto my plate? <laughs> and that was in community radio volunteer production. So it was all relative. And then obviously, as we know, COVID hit in you know March mm. 2020, and sadly my contract had to end, mm. and uh, the BBC work ended because you know most programs went in house in terms mm. of staff, and I found myself for the first time in a really long time having sort of like an identity crisis, okay. but not in any way that I was like, oh my God, woe is me, but more like what am I going to do? Like yeah. all my worth was tied to what I was doing and I felt like I was really kind of on a trajectory and then mm. that was just like the rug had been pulled out from under my feet and I essentially then reached out to a couple of mentors that were in radio drama, funnily okay. enough, and they said to me, you know, what they were seeing was this real... Um, like rise in people looking back on their lives and mm. thinking about things they'd done in the past but never got 
you know, to fully realise. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, I had always loved the long form side of journalism. That yeah. was me. Like I'd always loved being able to sit with people, talk about their lives. And then I thought, well, how do I do that? And someone said to me, well, that's, you know, oral histories. Yeah, you know, if yeah. you want to do that, why don't you start moving into that side of the audio world? Because the audio world at that time was filled with freelancers like me that suddenly had no work, no mm. money, the landscape was competitive for anything that was around and everything yeah. was going remote. And I was so conscious that um, I had to be really mindful of the fact that I had kids mm -hmm. and I needed to have something in play. And so I thought, well, I'll train up in audio, the, sorry, in the oral history side of audio production. And that was really how I ended up on my journey of um, getting into the series work that I've done. Yeah. And I came across tape letters, I think not long after I'd been training as an oral historian and Wajid was speaking during South Asian Heritage Month. And I'm always drawn to people that are really larger than life and he's full of energy, I've right? I've met him, sorry. Yeah, yeah one yeah, day yeah. you will and you'll see what I mean and he's absolutely wonderful. And he was bursting off the screen talking about tape letters and how he'd found his dad's cassettes and I thought, oh my God, this oral history project about this British Pakistani community that used these cassette tapes is a radio series. Like mm. I can actually hear this thing. I can actually see myself stopping the car while it's on to hear what is mm. being said. So I approached him and then he was like, that is insane because that's my dream to make this thing into radio series. Yeah. I'm like, well, let's just do it. Let's I make didn't it know happen. how we were going to do it. But then <laughs> we stumbled on the audio content fund where we could get funding to make a project. And so we put that in and that's how Tape Letters was born. And at the same time, I volunteered on a couple of oral history projects, one to do with the Marconi Company. Okay. So veterans that had worked at the Marconi Company as young apprentices and a local one called A County Remembers to do with uh, war memorials and public remembrance. So that gave me practical skills while mm. COVID was happening to remotely learn and understand how oral histories worked and respect the fact that I was moving into something very different mm. and much more formalised mm. than audio production. Yeah, super exciting. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, there are many strings to your bow, kind of, but you're also, as you said, a lifelong learner, so you're not phased by having to, you know embrace something new and you kind of do that which is admirable yeah and I come from a long yeah. line of teachers on my mum's side they'd all been teachers in Myanmar which is Burma and um, I think you take away positive and negative mantras from family and the positive one I've always had and I remember this ever since I was little was mum always used to say to me knowledge is power yeah, and yeah. you know I remember reading like Reader's Digest when I was little and lots of books that ran the house and that was the thing that my mum always I guess stood in the shadows with me about was education mm. she was always championing me learning and even if I did different courses and things she was always there you know that's fantastic like you keep going and yeah. I want to be a travel consultant no I don't I want to study human resource <laughs> management no I don't I'm going to do a business degree you know I kind of I don't flip-flop but you know your life as you get older you take many different yeah, paths right you go through mm. phases mm. yeah so that was the reason why I guess I did the undergrad because through all of that I never really had a good kind of handle on finishing stuff and mm. that is the negative mantra that I guess I wanted to mention from my dad because it was a really sort of um you know unhappy childhood that I had in terms of family mm. like my mum and dad always were fighting a lot and things like that and he mm. sort of had this thing that he used to say to me where you know are oh, you just going to be a failure you're never going to amount to anything so mm. coupled with knowledge is power I sort of self-sabotaged a lot you okay. know in terms of work and things like that and so when I actually graduated in my undergrad 
as a mature age student mm. and when I graduated in my honours they were big deals for me of because course, I yeah. realised you know what I can finish stuff I can mm. actually commit to something and see it through and now I guess the icing on the cake is I'm waiting to find out if my PhD application is successful where yes. I'll be getting a bursary to study mm. community radio of course <laughs> <laughs> what else so <laughs> I guess life is a funny journey isn't it I'm mm. a big believer in you know mentorship and surrounding yourself with people that you can soundboard things out with but then also you know dealing with adversity right like dealing mm. with challenges and things like that you know because we can always I think we can always do something we have got it in mm. us and that's why I like to help people when you mentioned mm. you've always come to me I get so much joy mm. maybe more than from my own achievements yeah. when someone says to me do you know what I did this thing yeah, or yeah, I yeah. got accepted on this thing it well, makes me feel so proud yeah. yeah and just those moments and in your work with um, University of Bedfordshire um, you're sort of facilitating other people's creativity at the minute as well aren't you very so much yeah yeah is that yeah. The, a, a, I don't know if that's an appropriate phrasing of it but no it really yeah, is yeah. you're right so Luton where um, the campus is located there's four but I'm at the Luton one has been overlooked a lot traditionally for funding mm. so as a consequence there's a really radical arts culture there which mm. is amazing but in saying that, mm -hmm. people have done this off the smell of an oily rag, which is, you know, really quite something when you think about it. Arts and culture thrives often, doesn't it, yeah. in situations like that. So uh, my manager, Emma Gill, who's an ex-theatre uh, practitioner, is an incredible person. She wrote a bid once COVID hit to help support you know, that scene in Luton was emerging cultural practitioners, particularly to do with heritage because it's a heritage fund. And so, yeah, that is the bulk of my work. Yeah, I work one-on-one yeah. -on -one mentoring and developing people to realise heritage projects. So mm. there's a lot of heavy lifting. There's yeah. a lot of, like I mentioned before, being a sounding board, fleshing mm. out ideas. People sometimes, you know, their confidence can be shook if they've, you know, sort of given a glimpse of an idea to someone mm. and that person said to them, oh, how are you going to do that? Yeah. Where are you going to find the money for that? Yeah. Well, where's the time? You've got the kids. negativity creeps That's in. That's right. Mm. It creeps in, and mm. then you, you know, downplay your ambition. But I mm. like people to think, no, nah, you know what? That is so wild and bizarre and crazy. <laughs> I'm going to make it happen, you know. Or yeah. even how do we reverse engineer it? That's often my approach: is mm. tell me what the most, you know, incredible thing is you want to do, and let's just work backwards from that. Yeah, yeah. And um, we'll find the practical ways around the idea, and yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think there's something quite nice about that idea of heritage sitting within the arts right rather than necessarily totally agree with you sort of seeing it as a a kind of a static thing that's just something to be remembered it's actually yeah. something to be interpreted and used and yeah no yeah you're right yeah. or maybe mm. even a thing that is the domain of certain people because true. Yeah. you know coming from Australia I think the UK is really enriching for me because history is dotted around everywhere like you and I are sitting in St Albans and you know it seems so like silly but you know there's you can hear the bells now yeah you can it. hear the bells it's like timing there you go yeah. you know like the cemetery at the Abbey where we are these beautiful glorious buildings and we don't have that degree of you know history in Australia so mm. for me it was really novel mm. coming here but then also I know that heritage and history can seem inaccessible to mm. a lot of people like why would I get involved in that or what can I do so I mm. like that more and more people are thinking of creative ways they can engage mm. and share history amazing yeah. super interesting So, Leona, it's been so good to get that kind of 
potted history of your career and kind of get a sense of it and I, I hope that the listeners have, have got a flavor of your journey with that and um, so let's talk about the sort of the broader context of you know motherhood and work um because obviously all these things however much of a, a learner or however practical or ambitious you are you know you're in a context you're in a society you're in a place um and we met uh, well we only physically met for the first time a year ago but mm. we'd been like chatting online that sounds like <laughs> we'd been internet buddies i know it I know. sounds <laughs> odd without the context doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, i was stalking you um, <laughs> on twitter <laughs> yeah, yeah. so you know we'd had like moments of sharing the highs and lows of life i suppose um especially around pandemic and thinking about how you how you are in the world that we're in um so we're coming up to the end of 2022 and I, I wondered just maybe we could take some time to reflect on I suppose where you think things are at obviously we both follow and um, listen and learn from sort of charities who are in the kind of parenting space or um, you're obviously from a community radio background so you kind of absorb news and journalism and I don't know I'm not quite sure what direction the conversation will take us in Leona <laughs> but you know for listeners to Mother of All Solutions they're probably also very similar to us in that way um, so I just thought some reflections on like do you feel hopeful or do you feel like the weight of the recession or what, what's what's your your immediate thought? Moving into this role that I'm in that we've been talking about, the Uni of Bedspun, has done something really quite remarkable to how I think in that I'm almost completely surrounded by arts practitioners Mm. for the first time in a super long time. Mm. And so, like, when, you know, I think COVID first hit, I started working more with people that were based in arts industries in terms Mm. of my audio work and I feel like life always goes full circle because in high school I did theatre for the last three years of high school and funnily enough I actually got ducks of theatre art so I thought I was going to have this you know um, live theatre career which you know I never realised but now I'm literally surrounded by theatre makers, (laughs) (laughs) applied theatre people and it's all very brilliant because they jump in and out of character all day so I love that. Um, But The reason I'm saying that is because it made me start thinking in a much more unconventional and radical way in the sense that I think sometimes we, I think from a safety perspective, because COVID has been so uncertain, right, it's thrust Mm. all of us into very kind of uncertain and unsettling um, situations that, you know, we don't necessarily have to think about things in a linear way anymore Mm. and even oral histories are not like that to some degree in that memory isn't linear but how people that I now either work with or are developing or meet with on a daily basis approach things is very much from this experimentation Mm. frame of mind and I absolutely love it Mm. like there's so much more validity in play and Mm. in playmaking and in piloting stuff and in prototyping stuff and in I guess what we would normally Mm. call R&D, like, you know, research and development, is considered experimentation. And through all these different artists I've met, they've talked a lot about, you know, space. Like, sometimes if they don't have a maker space or Mm. access to space, that compromises that first initial part of pure experimentation. And I love that. And I think we can adopt more of that in Mm. our lives Mm. and sort of 
digress more away from everything having to be structured. Like I know I run to the clock, but mm. you know that that's more about time and the fact that I do a lot of stuff. So I don't mm. like to be late because then I have like my friend Kerry, mm. the Kerrys of the world, saying you don't value me. And you're like, <laughs> so I, that, do, so I do. So that's that's what that's about. But mm. yeah, in answer to your question, yeah, I really do feel hopeful, and I say that because you know what's that saying that people use doom scrolling? Mm. I mean, let's face it, we can all doom scroll ourselves silly, which. You know, I have been doing. Sometimes media and the way we absorb mm. information is geared towards, and I know there are counters to that, and there's amazing, you know, um, you know, I guess platforms like Positive News and things like mm. that are trying really hard to uplift, mm. you know, great things people are achieving. But that's what the arts has done for me, is it's shown me that with nothing, people can be so incredibly you know there's such ingenuity mm. you know and interaction and I love the fact you know that it enables anyone and everyone to participate or equally look at something and have their own take on it yeah no I mean that I mean it's super interesting and I think there's some something that I struggle with around the nuance of life which is you know the doom and the practicality of the world that we're in and situations that we're in that are you know often tricky or tough and maybe not for you immediately but you see that like I mean I noticed recently like I'd live near Brixton the amount of rough sleepers in Brixton is just like kind of increased I mean the other day I was like walking through with the kids and trying not to ignore it but also thinking like the kids are going to notice this and like you know so on that sort of level even if it's not my day-to-day life I'm like conscious of that but also like I'm also quite a creative person, quite a hopeful, positive person. And I want to kind of keep that in either my day-to-day sort of being with my kids or in my workplace or whatever it is. And I think trying to find that, that, not balance again, uh, balance again, (laughs) (laughs) bloody word, Um, you know, that, how do you marry them both? And I think you're someone that does it very well. And I think um, trying to kind of, especially for for parents and mothers in particular who are in busy situations and maybe are often in tricky situations as well to try and be mindful of the situations they're in but also be creative and in yeah and I've got creative children yeah yeah like my girls very much like for a long time drew on all the walls of the house and I realized like that's just as much as it gets your goat (laughs) their expression and David and I were forever scrubbing things off walls and they've always got colouring in pens strewn everywhere they're forever drawing and colouring in the way they think I think is naturally quite creative and unconventional and I have learned to really respect that and honour that about Mm. them and sort of go with the flow more and I think sometimes our kids Mm. can teach us a lot as much as like we're like (laughs) you know that's so funny I was listening to Az Devlin who's an artist set designer and she was talking about how she was allowed to draw on the walls as a kid she was in quite a creative household and I was just like thinking about that and um, yeah it, it was, uh, I'll send you the link because it's interesting when they do it yeah. with sharpies that's when oh, you no, really no, no. you know that's that's sad I've, I've been there you put the of a late away. night scrubbing away trying to get a sharpie off a wall hide, yeah. the, hide the sharpie I mean it's been super interesting because obviously I knew some of your story, but I didn't know all of it. And I really hope that you listeners have have enjoyed learning a bit about Leona's career and background and some of her thoughts on creativity and and parenting as well. So I really hope you've enjoyed it. Um, So Leona, if people want to connect with you, how would they do that? What's the best way? Yeah, uh, 
Probably the website, Ink Slingers Media website, they can find me or please do connect with me on LinkedIn because I consider that to be like my Rolodex. Remember those things? <laughs> yeah, As I meet it. people, I just literally add them to my LinkedIn Rolodex and not because I'm trying to amass like a massive amount of whatever, but more just so I have people, you know, other than phone numbers and business cards, it's kind of all there. Or as my kids say when I go to work, are you going to go work at the universe today? Oh, so, that is so Or they sweet. can find me at the universe if, um, you know, you live in Luton or Bedfordshire and you are one of these, you know, amazing arts practitioners or upcoming, you know, emerging in the heritage space, you find me at the University of Bedfordshire. <laughs> the University of Bedfordshire. Oh, I love it. I completely love it. And um, yeah, and I want to thank you for your support to me as well. So thanks, Leona. You're welcome. You've been listening to The Mother of All Solutions in St. Albans with my guest, Leona Fensum. Um, if you've enjoyed the episode, please do share it with your friends. Um, you can get in touch with me, Laura, as your host and producer via at Solutions Mother on Instagram or Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, the Rolodex. <laughs> the Rolodex. <laughs> the digital Rolodex. Um, just as my name, Laura Broderick. Um, be lovely to connect with you all. So have a great day, whatever you're up to. Take care. Bye. Bye, Leona. Bye. Bye. <laughs>